a Podcast One production. Hi, I'm Nat Kringudis. And I'm Cecilia Ramsdale. Welcome to The Wellness Collective, a podcast where we invite you to be part of our wellness community to share, learn and live better. Cecilia, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I am. I just got off a plane. Had yesterday. a big night out too last night, I didn't was you? was out last night and <laughs> I'm here. Well, I'm glad you're here and you've got your game face on and that's all that matters. Right, totally. But I'm smiling. You're always smiling. Um, I have to tell you though, I have a tradesperson in our house today. Mm-hmm. It's been an interesting morning. Is that why you're smiling? Well, should I tell the story? Go on. <laughs> I mean... My pyjamas, but they're very conservative pyjamas. They've got, you know, it's got a collar and buttons and oh, everything. Oh, cute. Yeah. Warm. And he couldn't look at me. He was kind of stuttering. And then he said, I'm going to come back because you're standing in your bedroom barefoot and I feel uncomfortable. <laughs> and he left. Oh. And came back. Wow. Well, that's very nice. I, I know, but I just feel a little bit like I, I, I feel bad that I... Posed that on him. It wasn't my intention. I feel like I've got, they were the most conservative. What's, what's the difference between that or a T-shirt? Anyway. I love it. Well, maybe he's a little bit prudish and that's quite a good link to what we're here to talk about today because it's very interesting how people have different levels of what they find comfortable in that kind of arrangement. It does make me laugh because when we renovated our house, I know I answered the door many times just in a towel because they'd get there at seven o'clock in the morning and the race to have a shower before they got there was well, very difficult. The other thing, which is also on topic, mm. is he ha- they had to flip our bed up because oh. he needs to like put everything in one side of the room. <laughs> yeah. And he says to me, I'll just give you a few minutes to clean under the bed. And I was like, oh, you don't need to do that. He's like, You never know what you find under there. And trust me, I've seen some really odd things. I'm like, well, I don't think you're going to find anything odd. I found a shower cap under there. Oh, there you go. That's reasonably odd. I think he was probably onto something. Now, let's just get straight into it. Yes. Our magical guest for today, can you please introduce yourself? Sure. So I'm Jacqueline Hellier. Um, I'm a psychosexual therapist and relationship coach. I have a private practice here in Sydney. So I have clients all over the world. Um, and I run lots of workshops and couples retreats and I'm in the media a lot and I've written some books and have a blog. and So basically everything to do with uh, sex, love and intimacy. Right. And shower caps under the bed. <laughs> <laughs> I recommend my daughters anyway. Let's get into it today. The reason we have got you here is because some information came across our desk that made us go, hang on a minute, how can this be? Apparently Australia is finding itself in a bit of a, uh, well, maybe it is a prudish situation where there's a bit of a sex recession. How uh, Can you talk us through that? Yes, it's not prudery so much. It's generally busyness and distractedness and also having a lot of misunderstandings about what sex is and how it should play out in one's life. And we're finding particularly with young people there is um, an even bigger sex recession. And so it is just purely because of time and and being, I guess, overworked and our attention is placed elsewhere? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, it's partly about that. And also um, we're not doing the sorts of things that prime our, our bodies, our minds, our hearts to be able to engage sexually. What sorts of things are you talking about? 
So when you work like really full on, when you're, we call it upregulated, you're stuck in your, your um, sympathetic nervous system, then you're really stressed. And then what people tend to do, to, they do the opposite and then they just like totally downregulate and they zombie out. Now, it's not possible for our bodies to become sexually aroused or even vaguely interested if we're polarised too much like that. So, you know, with modern Westerners spending all their time like full on during the day and then they come home and then there's all these lovely distractions. You know, we've got Netflix and Stan <laughs> and Facebook and gaming and all this sort of stuff, which means it's so easy to think that we're actually resting and chilling, but, but we're actually not. All we're doing is zoning out. So we don't recuperate. It also means that people are very isolated, so they're not doing the sorts of things they need to do to get into this nice zone together to be able to then potentially kind of move into some lovemaking. They just go for it all day long, then they veg out, then they fall into bed exhausted last thing at night and the last thing you want to do when your head hits the pillow if you're exhausted is have any lovemaking. So people are going around it totally wrong. I think it's so interesting that you say that I think everyone can identify with that day you've just described. But without going into too much intimate detail, you think about when you do have sex, how often you go... Well, that was good. Why don't I do that more often? <laughs> <laughs> so I say this to patients because often patients will say to me, my libido is gone. I'll say, well, is it that you just actually can't have sex or is it that you just don't have the desire for sex? But if you're tapped on the shoulder, you can actually get into the moment and it, it's it's good. It's not painful. It's not, you know, it, it all works, I guess, is the mm. right way to talk about it. Um and I think, uh, I don't know in your experience, but I find that women place a lot of pressure on themselves because they don't tend to be the one initiating and they feel bad that they're not initiating. Um, and there's this that creates a little bit of a disconnect as well. Can you talk to that a little bit? Yeah, sure. Well, for a start, I want to say that I actually have more couples where the man's got the lower desire. So it's certainly not the case that the women are the ones going, no, 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 all the time. Quite quite the contrary, okay? Uh, So let's just kill that myth for a start. Um, But one of the key things is that we misunderstand the difference between desire and arousal Mm -hmm. and we tend to think that arousal, that horny feeling, is a sign of desire when it's not. Desire is actually, it's a transitive verb. It's like moving to another. I desire something. I desire you. And that's more of a heartfelt or a headfelt sort of a thing. So a lot of people actually want to have sex but they think that they've got to wait until the last descends and hopefully the partner's lust is descending at exactly the same time. And no, that doesn't happen. Libido is not a thing. It's something that needs to be cultivated within and between. So you're saying that, yeah, it's, you're not just sitting there and all of a sudden you're like, holy moly, it's like I feel the blood, blood rising. And you've got to wait for the other one you've to actually, hit the same, like be on the same wavelength. Yeah, that's a lot to kind of coordinate. Right, but it's fascinating because I think you're right. We've got we've got it wrong. We're we're oh, waiting for the so many myths, so many myths in society. It is insane. Like the trouble is, everyone thinks they're dysfunctional, but actually, it's our model of sex that's dysfunctional. Tell us like about that. We've got permission to do everything, but we haven't actually caught up psychologically in terms of knowing. Well, how do we do that? How do we identify what we're what we're wanting, where we're at? How do we communicate that? How do we negotiate and co-create something that's really beautiful? So that it's always there, bubbling, simmering away under me. What are the dysfunctions that you see mostly in a general sense? Oh, gosh, you name it. People thinking that they don't want to have sex, not knowing how to get into it. Um, And look, if we can focus on young people a little bit, because partly why I'm I'm here talking to you, is that you've got all of these added um, issues around expectation, um, 
So young people in particular, and we also see it um, with middle-aged people and older people if they're trying to get together again after a split up, Uh you know, all these expectations about what sex is and what you should be doing and how it's supposed to be amazing and and that it's performance, like this real performance model of sex, that sex is something you do to another person and you've (laughs) got to get it right. And it's kind of like it's too overwhelming. Is it also because they're looking towards the internet for and movies and whatnot? And I know we've always, you know, we've always had access to that. But I guess uh, the internet opens up more um, accessibility to porn and things like that. So younger generations are looking, going, "Well, that's not what my bedroom looks like. So maybe I'm just not going to do it at all." Yeah, and you get, you know, the young, the boys are going, well, my penis doesn't look like that, so how's that going to work? And when a girl looks at my penis, she doesn't suddenly go into paroxysms of, you know, of, <laughs> of you know, pleasure. Like, ah, what am I doing wrong? I can't do that. I'm supposed to go down on her, but I don't know how to. And then the girls are thinking that they've got to do all this crazy shit, like they're high-class courtesans, but they don't get paid for it. Um, you know, they know about every possible thing that you can do before they've even had sex. And it's actually, you know, a bit like, whoa, <laughs> hang on. It's easier just to look at this stuff and masturbate than to try and navigate the complexities of being able to do that with someone. So I wonder yeah. if that's a factor. Is uh, uh, If they're not having sex, are they masturbating more? Oh, yeah, people are, yeah, young people will masturbate, absolutely. Right, but is it, well, I guess it's one or the other really, isn't it? Well, you've got to do something. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And the other problem that we have, and this is in all all generations who are trying to, you know, get together and create a new relationship, but this is particularly so with young people, right, is this texting thing. Yes. You cannot create a relationship via text. Relationships require human interaction. You need voice, you need presence, you need smell, you need all of these terribly nuanced things that you simply cannot get if you're sending someone a, a couple of lines and maybe an emoji. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up actually because I was talking to someone the other day and they, they're in their 20s and they were, they were saying that most of their friends now have met their partners through online. And the idea of actually just meeting someone for the first Mm. time in person is really strange and abstract. And I thought, isn't that sad? Because like you say, you might have that intellectual connection with someone, but if they don't smell good and you don't want, you don't get tingles when you touch their fingers or brush past them, like all of those really kind of visceral things that, that make you attracted to someone. It's, I don't know, how do you have sex if you've been in a relationship with someone online, you've never met them, you meet in yeah. person? Do all of those things fall into place? Yeah, exactly. And also the converse as well is that if you just meet someone because you think they look hot mm. and then you think that you're just going to hook up with them and then, in fact, I was just on the radio this morning answering a question around this, you know, this young woman had written into a radio station saying, you know, I like to have sex on the first date but then I never hear from the guy again. You know, what's wrong is, you know, is, Surely we should be allowed to have sex on the first date. And I'm, my answer was simply, well, sure, if you want to hook up, hook up. But if you want to create a relationship, you've got to build this sort of thing. And if you have sex really early, it's not a moral issue. It's just that your relationship hasn't developed the resilience to be able to deal, well, what is this? What is, what is this sexual thing? How was it? Can we talk about it? And Is it also yeah. the formation of desire, as you spoke about? Yes, and there's that as well. You know, like that whole... like. In the Victorian era, you know, they had a oh, right to yeah. Slow, 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 you know, a little tart, we're not allowed to touch, you know. Like, 
you know, and when we don't have anticipation, when we don't have that slow build, when we don't have the simmer going on underneath, then there's kind of nothing there. that we did uh, on one of our other podcasts where we spoke about um, online dating. It was interesting because yeah. Andy had mentioned that we need to see, uh, um, you know, when we see someone on a dating app or we need to see it as a, um, what did she say? Not a connection, but she was basically saying, just like you'd smile at someone walking down the street, you know, you're not going to get married to them just because you swiped a certain way. You got, <laughs> you've got to see it as just, a, a, you know, one type of connection like a smile at the person in the gym, I remember her saying. And I, that's fascinating. And I, I find that fascinating because I haven't had to use online dating and it had never occurred to me. But I think that's a really healthy way of looking at how you can use tools like that to your advantage, not thinking, oh, I'm, oh you know, I've swiped left or right or whichever way it is, um, and now we're going to get married, you know. <laughs> so, yeah, all, all that, we've got to have a hookup and then how's that going to turn? I mean, yeah. Like basically what we need is to learn how to communicate better around relationships and sexuality and intimacy. And so, I mean, one of the reasons why I'm here talking to you today is um, I don't often team up with, with commercial ventures, but I did with Naked Condoms because they had this brilliant idea and they wanted me to come on board and help them with it about what they call the generation intervention and to get middle-aged people talking to their adult children. I'm so glad you're talking about this because when I read through it, I was like, that just makes me have like little panic conniptions, the idea that my parents would have sat me down and gone, right, okay, we need to have the talk 2.0. You've had the birds and the bees and you know the basics, but now we're going to really go into the nitty gritty and here's some advice from us. Can you imagine? But apparently it's been worked through a bit more than that. Well, yeah, there's more to it than that. And can I just speak personally? I have three children who are in their late teens, early 20s, and we talk about this stuff a lot right? They know that they can come to me and talk through relational issues, sexual issues, and it is a totally normal part of life. And I just feel blessed. I mean, I wish I'd had that when I was young. I didn't. God forbid I would ever talk to my parents about such things. You know, I had to fumble a lot. But at least I didn't have porn and all these expectations on me like young people have, right? Mm -hmm. And to be able to talk to someone who, you know, like, okay, I'm an expert in the area, but most parents aren't. But, you know, you've done it. Parents, you know, we've We've had relationships, we've suffered, we've had heartache. We, we don't have yeah. to be experts. We just need to be a space. And we really need, and I really think I'm saying to people all the time, because parents are always saying to me, how can I bring up my children so that they all have a positive attitude to sex? Mm. And I'm like, get your own act together. Right? Feel good about your own sexuality. You know, talk through it, understand it, learn to communicate it so that you're modelling a positive um, sexuality. When I say sexuality, I don't mean they're going to watch you having sex, of course, but that they can, so that your kids see that you have this nice rapport and there's an intimacy and that, yes, you do spend time alone in your bedroom together and then you come out smiling. Sure, I think that's actually a really good thing. It's modelling that sex is a normal, healthy part of life. Hmm. Because so many studies have shown that when we have quality relationships with good quality sexual connection, it's the best indicator of health and well-being better than anything else. This carries on from what I, I teach as well in, in the sense of 
really enrolling children from the very beginning of age-appropriate conversations around our body um, and, mm-hmm. and really creating that from a young age so that this is actually just for what I see, the next conversation that they're going to ask about because mm-hmm. you've already created that from a very young age. You know, I think not being truthful or factual to yeah. children at any stage is such a disservice and it's such a great opportunity to continue to have and let those conversations evolve organically, you know, rather than questions like where did I come from and, yes, you know, you've been lied to, you've been told that you the stork delivered or the doctor <laughs> put you in there and that might be the case for IVF. But, you know, yeah. I think that if we this to me is just the next stage of what would all the conversation where that should follow very organically if we're doing this from a really young age. So I really love that because that's definitely part of um, something I'm passionate about. Well, I know in my own life, again, and this is way before I became a sexuality expert, that, you know, my kid's father and I, you know, we used to say, hey, mummy and daddy have cuddle time. They knew Sunday mornings. Mummy and daddy went back to the bedroom for a bit and had cuddle time and came out smiling, you know. We said we're making love and when mummy and daddy make love, we make love for the family. They thought that was, they didn't know what cuddle time was other than cuddle, you know. And then as they they knew more and grew more, they were like, oh, okay. So they've always (laughs) been really open about, you know, and I never pushed anything on them. So, yeah, so by the time you get to young adulthood, you know, late teens, early 20s and into your 20s, it's a complex time and, you know, we do go to our parents for information and advice on other things, you know, finances, buying a house, jobs. We really as a society need to get better about talking about sexuality, intimacy, relationships, all this sort of stuff. Well, there's this real sort of level of shame about it too, isn't there? Which is yeah. unnecessary. And I think that's the big brick wall that can come up because, you know, as you say, the questions that you have, if you feel shameful about them, then you're not going to go to somebody yeah, yeah, and if you think that, like, because we're brought up to not talk about mm. sex, no one does, and it's all hidden. And you know, when clients come to see me, the first thing they say at the end of a session is like, "What a relief! Mm-hmm. <laughs> what a relief just to be able to talk about it in a totally normal way." You know, I just talk about sex like we're talking about anything. Yeah. You know, a little bit of fun, but a fun thing as well. You know, <laughs> it's serious, and what's the problem, and what's the dysfunction? And it's kind of like, hey, you know, this what? is a good thing, and. And, and normalising it. It's all about normalising it. I wonder why it has become such a shameful thing. I mean, I know there was the whole religious aspect and certain religions have got rules about what you can and can't do and, and um, you know, I think we both went to Catholic schools. So there's all those layers of things that you grow up with. It's very hard it to kind of put all of that aside, isn't it? Thousands of years of suppression. It's our cultural history. Sex was suppressed. Sex was bad. You shouldn't do it. We brought up our girls to know nothing about their sexuality. You shouldn't be sexual. Girls were not. If girls were sexual, they tended to be, you know, stoned to death, burned at the stake. We were still locking girls up for promiscuity Mm. in the 1970s in insane asylums. A girl could be locked up as mentally ill if she liked sex in the 1970s. Yeah, it's incredible. And even these days, you know, I'm always saying to women, hands up, because I give a lot of talks and workshops and stuff, hands up if your mother taught you about your clitoris. Hands up if your mother talked to you about how you negotiate sexual pleasure with your husband or your partner. Hardly anyone. Mm. And what do the boys know? All the boys knew was masturbation. Girls knew nothing. Boys knew masturbation. So they'd get married. The boys would masturbate inside their wives. (laughs) And that's become our model of sex, which comes back to your first thing, which is like, you know, got to be horny because our model of sex is masturbatory. You got to be horny first. That's why you do it. It's all about the genital friction. Right, anything else is just foreplay, right? That's the main event. And it finishes with his ejaculation. 
that's when we know sex finishes. Hopefully she's had an orgasm along the way, but it's got to be a very kind of peak orgasm. It's got to simulate a male orgasm somehow, right, because we base everything on male sexuality, even though we know that female sexuality is much broader and deeper and richer than male sexuality. You know, we see women all the time trying to sort of contain their sexuality into this sort of very limited male masturbatory model, which is bad for everyone because men actually need women to have a good time for them to have a good time. It's all been back to front. And it all comes from 5,000 years of patriarchy, well, which everyone suffers under. That's a lot yes. to undo in one, well, one think, hit, though, I isn't it? It's, it's great <laughs> to have it. these conversations and, and start because yeah. that's how we get to actually change what's going on, you know? Absolutely. You know, and this is why, like, when I'm running women's workshops, for instance, they go for two days because there's so much to unpick. I think it's interesting that you say, did you know, how many women, how, how many mothers talked about the clitoris, how many of them knew what to say? Like perhaps it wasn't even about the fact that they were concerned or, or worried about saying anything or what the consequences might be. Maybe they just didn't know because, like you say, 5,000 years is a lot of information that's gone by the by. The by. Right. Yeah. And, you know, back in Victorian era, which wasn't that long ago, that was the most sexually repressive era for women ever. It was actually medical dogma that women had no sexual feeling, no sexual response. That was medical dogma. You know, our grandparents or great-grandparents were growing up then. It's not that long ago. The sexual revolution was only in the 60s and 70s. Yeah. And suddenly we went from we don't know anything, it's all bad, to like, hey, anything's okay and it's all good. It's like, what? And we just haven't caught up as a society to that level of permission. So, well, we can't even talk about it. Well, that's the thing. <laughs> we have to keep talking about it, don't we? That's how we change it and keep having the conversations. And especially, like yeah. you said, this next generation, it's really important that we continue to yeah. nurture and care yeah. for them. And so what about the, just, I know we're out of time, but what about the parent that doesn't feel comfortable talking to their children about that? What can we tell or how can we help yeah. them to be able to? Well, this is why I was so excited about working with naked condoms because, you know, we we developed all of these resources for parents as well. So if you're feeling like, oh, my God, I don't know what to do, then go to nakedcondoms.com because that's where there's all these resources that have been put together to, to help parents, you know, to feel comfortable, um, you know, how to ask questions. But just make sure that you sit down. You don't have to be an expert. You're not an expert, right? You don't have to be. You just need to be a space where you can share a little bit of yourself and you, know, you don't have to go into details about sex if you don't want to. It, but, you know, usually there's an issue. The questions are a little bit, you know, kind of higher end than that. It's kind of like, I don't know how to follow up with this person or I can't have a sex life because I live with you. I mean, this is another issue with young yes, people. Yes, it's true. That's true. Definitely. Home longer and you need a young person needs to have permission from their parents to bring their partners home. And if their parents are being weird about it or then where, what are they going to do? So, you know, I mean, this is an issue as well. So, you know, there's so many factors. And until you start talking to your young one, like, hey, how's it going? You know, how's, how's life? How's relationships? Notice you haven't been dating much or, you know, you're getting out. Look, you know, I'm no expert here, but I have been with your dad for the last 30 years or even if you haven't been together, you know, like I've been in and out of relationships a bit, not an expert, but happy to talk to you. I mm. really care about you. I want you to be happy. I think it is a good extension of being that safe space for young people to come to. And whether you're a parent or not, maybe an auntie or an uncle or, exactly. and I think sometimes even that step removed from the relationship can make it much easier for people to have a frank conversation because you don't have that kind of intimidation of your parents and the fear of judgment and all of that that comes along with it. Mm. Um, but I think from an early age, like you were saying, Nat, if you make sure that 
the young people know they can come to you. I always say to my son, he's nine, and something came up the other day and I, I found out that he hadn't told me something that had happened last year. And it wasn't a big thing, but he'd kind of, you know, it had affected him. And I only mm. found out about it like last week. And I said to him, you know, you can come to me and talk to me about anything and it doesn't matter and I won't go and tell the person you know, mm-hmm. like it's a safe space and what, and he goes, oh, I know, I know. <laughs> like, I thought, I wonder if when he gets older whether he will utilise that offer or, or maybe I'm too much, I don't no, know. No, you just need to continue to lead by example and open up the, com- create space to open the conversation <laughs> yeah. up so they feel that they can. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Don't want to be laughed at. No, I know. We are out of time. Um, but did you want to let our listeners know where they can access your information? Yes, well, if they're interested in this whole generation intervention, then there's a lot of information on the um, nakedcondoms.com site. Um, mm-hmm. If they're interested in me and what I offer, which is a whole broad range of things, it's JacquelineHellier.com. A C Q U E L I N E H E L L Y E R. Aha, there you go. Glad you did that. Cecilia, before we go, we have a new review, I think. It's a great one. It says, Best Collective Ever. Oh, yeah. Oh, metal. Um, I love listening to you ladies as I've learnt so much and get to use this awesome information for myself and my young daughters. Love all the laughs too and I listen to you at work. She works at Bunnings. Oh, there you go. Yes, please Hammer keep... and a nail and That's us. right. Please keep uh, with, up with the information, the awesome information. Um, we do love a review. Please do one. Yes, yes. always. And rate just some stars, all of the stars. All of the stars. Don't leave any out. Don't be, don't be doing that. <laughs> nice words. <laughs> and share with your friends because, you know, we actually got asked the other day, how do we sum up what we do? And it made me think and I was like, oh, gosh, I'm so bad at trying to sum up these things. But I came to the conclusion that the way we sum it up is we provide little bits of information that you as the listener can take and put in your little bag, as we say, and then, you know, draw on them when you go, hang on, this is happening. I think I heard about that on the Wellness Collective. Just a little nugget. Mm. Excellent. Well, until next time. Yes, we do hope that this episode has left you feeling happier, healthier and better. 